All right, well, let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Matthew and chapter number 26. Matthew and chapter 26, as we stand in honor of God's word here this morning, Matthew 26 and verse number 31. So Matthew 26 and verse number 31 is where we're going to begin our reading. Matthew 26 and verse number 31. We'll start in verse 30 just to get a little bit of a run at it. This is at the conclusion of, the, of what we know now as the Lord's Supper is the observance of the Passover. And so um, uh, Jesus is making his way. He's on the way to Calvary to die for our sins. And uh, God allowed us to see some of the events leading up to uh, his crucifixion so that we'd understand that Jesus didn't die as any other man. Uh, there's something uh, that is different about his death than any death that has ever taken place and any death that will take place. And so we're getting a little bit of a glimpse of that as we go along in our journey here. So now let's look at verse 30 and we'll read through verse number 46. <clears throat> and when they, that be Jesus and the disciples, minus Judas, as we saw, but when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. They went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Verse 33, Peter answered and said <clears throat> unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will, not, yet will I never be offended. That's Peter. <laughs> Jesus said unto him, verse 34, verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice or three times. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Now, Peter wasn't the only one, though. Look what it says in the last part of the verse. Likewise also said all the disciples. So they all said that, Lord, we're willing to die for you, die with you. Verse 36 then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. So that'd be James and John. Peter, James, and John. And the Bible tells us in verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Notice this, please. Even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, who had just, by the way, said that they would be willing to die for him, <clears throat> and findeth them asleep. They said they'd be willing to die for him, and they can't even stay awake. Come on now. Ironically, even while I was studying this, I fell asleep. So I can't say a whole lot. So anyways, just saying. <laughs> he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Notice what he says in verse 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42. He went, he went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, Except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words, which would have been to the effect let this cup pass for me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That would be the essence of what he would have prayed. Verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then verse 46, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. In fact, verse 47, if you'd allow me just to read just a little bit further, while he yet spake low or behold, Judas, one of the 12 came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves. And he's gonna betray Jesus at that time. So I've entitled the message this this morning. I trust that by the end of the message, it'll make complete sense to you. I've just entitled it this, The Olive Press. The Olive Press. The Olive Press. <laughs> May God bless the reading of this word. You may be seated. One of the most uh, memorable times we had in Israel was actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. Being able to be there, you're just, uh, you're, you're looking over the Kidron Valley and you're looking into the holy city 
You can see the Temple Mount area, and you're, I mean, basically, you're just right there at the Eastern Gate. I, I really hadn't put all that together that you have the Mount of Olives, and we, we started out at the top of the Mount of Olives overlooking the city, and uh, then we made our way down by foot, and about maybe two-thirds of the way down, or nearly at the foot of the Mount of Olives is this grove of olive trees that many of which are ancient. I mean, you can just, you can just look at them and tell that's, that's a really old tree. And I don't know how long or how far back they date, but nonetheless, these ancient olive trees and then this grove of olive trees. And it, it would have been this location or at least in that area where Jesus went with his disciples uh, to pray and we were blessed. Brother Dean uh, Herring, our guide, worked it out to where our group could have just a, there's a, a garden area there, and we were able to have just that area exclusively for our group. Another group uh, joined us uh, somewhat maybe midway through or so, but we had about uh, 30 minutes to 40 to just, just pray. It was really significant for several reasons. Uh, one, one actually is a little bit personal. Um, 1975, um, Brother Decker, uh, Angie's um, dad and mom, um, prayed in that garden because <laughs> they weren't able to have kids. And they prayed. <laughs> Sorry. Prayed that they might be able to. 1976, Angie was born. <laughs> so it was pretty awesome to be there underneath one of those fig trees, or sorry, olive trees rather, and to uh, pray with their answer to prayer. Amen. Angie. And we didn't pray for more children, I'm just saying, but <laughs> just <laughs> for clarity there. <laughs> So that was, a, that was a neat experience to do that. But then just to think, and it's neat to watch other people um, in our group that pray. Terry and Mickey Randolph, uh, they were in our group. And just to, uh, it was a special moment. I'm not trying to be weird about it. It was just a special moment, as you might imagine. But there was a lot of things I hadn't put together at that time and maybe just the frailty of our memories. You just, you just don't remember it all. But there's this interesting connection between the name of the place Gethsemane and what actually happened there. And some of it I hadn't really understood till we actually went up north of Jerusalem to Nazareth and there's a a uh, place there called the Nazareth Experience where, you know, Jesus spent his childhood and growing up and, and they have a, an olive grove there and they walked us through what it means to press the olives, to get the oil out of those olives. So there's a connection there that I'd like to make a little bit later on in the message. But here we have our Lord praying in this garden. It was not just randomly selected. It's where he often went with his disciples. And in this uh, location, he prayed as uh, no one has ever prayed, no doubt. 
Because he was facing something at that time that no one ever had and no one ever would. To be honest with you, no one ever could. Not like he did there. I got to be honest with you this morning. I, I can't say to you that I fully understand all that happened in that garden of Gethsemane. And, and, um, but I think it's important for us to understand or at least try to understand here what, what uh, God had Matthew, Mark, and Luke to record. John references their time in the garden, but doesn't go into all the detail that these three go into. But there's definitely a contrast, and I think you picked up on it, is very evident between the, uh, the frailty of the disciples and yet the, um, the determination and the surrender of the Savior. Both were facing pressure. Pressure is a key word in the passage. Although you don't see the word pressure, it certainly is the idea is there. You can see, as Jesus says, uh, my soul is exceeding filled with sorrow. I mean, it's, it may be hard for us to understand or comprehend. How can our Savior um, wrestle so or agonize? There's a good word. Agonize. And even Luke would say that he, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Luke records for us that, that he was so weak even at this moment that an, ange, an angelic being strengthened him. I can't reconcile all that in my mind, although I understand the 100% humanity of Jesus, but that does not negate at all the 100% deity of Jesus in that hour. So there's something going on here that, that you and I need to understand, and I think should we understand it, that it would make us all the more grateful for what happened at the cross of Calvary. Because if in the shadow of the cross, our Savior prays three times that, that this cup, and we need to understand this morning what that cup is. If he prayed three times that, Father, if there's another way, and you say, I don't even understand exactly how could that be. How could Jesus even approach the Father to say, Father, if there's another way, then we need to understand somewhat what is going on here. And, and if we understand it, then maybe we get a little bit of a glimpse of just the magnitude and what, what your sin and my sin cost our dear Savior. As in many ways he was pressed, pressed beyond measure, pressed the Bible says, I'm just trying to read what the Bible says, that he was at the point of death even at this moment. Pressed, uh, he was filled with a sorrow even of death. I mean, this was a very, very intense time in the life of our Savior. What is it that created such intense pressure upon him? And then, and then this, I, I think we also are, are responsible to, to consider also that Jesus is telling them, listen, you need to pray because you have the hour of temptation coming your way. There's pressure that you're going to face. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and he, he was... Letting them know that ahead of time. And we could see even from what happened exactly how they responded as to, as to what that type of pressure was. And we can also see how that he did not respond 
in a way that he could have. But then I would think also that we're to make some application to us because there's pressure that you and I face. But listen, folks, this morning, I, I think that you and I have no comparison in the type of pressure that we face here today. The Bible tells us that they sung in him. I, I, uh, I feel like I just kind of read over that last week, but can you think about this just a moment that he's on his way to the, the, the excruciating pain of Calvary and yet he's singing? There's joy. There's peace. They're making their way up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. They're crossing, as you saw, they cross the Kidron Valley, they cross the brook Kidron, and, and they would go up that, that incline, and they'd come into this, this grove of olive trees. But, but before they come there, I don't know if it was on the way or upon their arrival uh, to this location that he said to them that all of you, all of you shall be offended because of me this night. All of you. The word offended is the word from which we get the word uh, scandal or scandalize. It's, it's the word that means to trip or stumble. He's saying this, every one of you are going to fall away. Every one of you are going to have a lapse. Every one of you are going to fall backwards. A grievous lapse here. They would fail him. We dare not be hard on these disciples because we too also fail him. And yet he loved them. He explained as to what would happen as, as they would, he's quoting prophecy out of Zechariah 13 and, and how that the shepherd would be smitten, struck down, slain. He would be killed. The shepherd, obviously that's in reference to Jesus, their shepherd, our shepherd. He would be, he would be smitten, by the way, not just smitten by man, but smitten by God. smitten, and, and then when they smitten, then the sheep would scatter. They would flee. Peter, who so often spoke and then thought later, said, if everybody else here denies you, if everybody else falls away, I will not fall away. Hey, listen, I don't want to be too rough on Peter either because he's got loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got loyalty to him. He loved him. He got out of that boat when nobody else did. He, he, was, he was willing to go to the cross with Jesus. He, at least that's what he said. He took out his sword and when these men came, we're going to see that he's going to cut off one of their ears. I'm just, well, that wasn't what he was aiming at, by the way. He, he was willing to fight. I'm just simply saying that's Peter and Peter's loyal. And he says, Lord, all, although all shall deny thee, all, although all shall, shall disown you, I never will. I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. And so likewise also said they all. But Peter didn't understand the pressure that was coming his way. Peter didn't understand his own limitations. He says, I won't deny you. And Jesus says, listen, before the rooster crows the next morning, you're going to deny me three times. They came, the Bible says, to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. They're on the Mount of Olives. Okay, put all this together now. Uh, the, the Gethsemane means the, the oil press. Literally, it's, it's made of two Hebrew words, get semini. Get means a place of pressure. Shemen is the singular form of oil. So it was this place where it was this, this pressure. It's where they would 
To get any oil out of those olives, they had to be crushed. And so he was in the place of crushing Gethsemane. Oil in that day and time and even in with, within the realm of, of their faith as Jews was very significant. In fact, I might remind you this morning that he was the Messiah. And the word Messiah means this, the anointed one. He was anointed. They would anoint kings to rule. They would anoint priests to rule. He is the anointed one. They would literally take oil that was from these olives and they would anoint these kings. And they, David, was, they, they poured the oil. Samuel poured the oil over his head, anointed him as king. And, and priests would be anointed with oil. And so here he is, the Messiah in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where the oil was pressed out. Oil was used in, in the menorah. The menorah is that, that symbol of Israel often that you see that, that golden candlestick and oil was used to burn a light so there'd be a light in the, in the tabernacle. This was a common place for Jesus and his disciples to go. In fact, Judas knew exactly where they would be once they left that secret meeting place, that large upper room. He knew that they, he was going to cross that Kedron Valley and that Kedron Brook, and, and he was going to go into this garden because he oftentimes, John said, he oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Luke says that as he was wont, that's where he would go. They would take, they would take these uh, large stones, Gethsemane, as I've already mentioned to you, that, that means a, a press of oil. And, and we saw it in that Nazareth village. And this is where it really clicked with me that, that they take this uh, massive stone, maybe two to three foot wide in diameter, and then about maybe 18 inches wide in, in the way that the wheel is shaped in the form of wheel, you know, nearly as large as this, this pulpit, if that helps you to have some kind of a frame of reference. And they would use a, a donkey or some animal to to turn this wheel. And, and what was happening is that they, they put these olives that they actually are just getting ready to do this in October, November. They take the olives and they put it in this basin here, this large stone basin. And this animal or these, these men would, would push it around and this massive stone is, is crushing, crushing these olives to the point where they become basically a paste. And then they take those, that paste basically of, of both the, uh, the pulp, the, uh, the olives and all that is in it and, and the oil. And it, they take it, they scoop it out and they put it in these baskets. And then there in the Nazareth village, they showed us this, that, that there's this, this place where they have a, a, a pit underneath about two foot down. And they, they put these baskets that are collapsible. They put them, they stack them up. And then there's this massive weight that comes on them. They've already been crushed, mind you. But now they're going to be crushed, watch this, three more times. There's a massive stone. And in fact, one man said that it weighed about 500 kilograms. And so that's a massive weight. And so there's three different times that, that, that they use this, this lever system and this stone to press, to press those olives down. And it gets pressed once, twice, and three times until all the oil is out. And I can't imagine just what kind of pressure is there. But no pressure, no oil. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. 
And he said, I want you to go with me and we're going to pray yonder. Luke says that it was about a stone's cast away from the other eight disciples. And, and as, as they are there, then the Bible, he, he explains to them that he's going to go and pray. And he goes a little further and he fell on his face and prayed. And he said this, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He prays that once. He prays that twice. He prays that three times. Very symbolic. Oh, can you see the connection here? Gethsemane, the place where the oil was pressed. Not once, not twice, but three times. Here our Savior laying face down is, is praying out to his Father and he's being pressed. And he's being pressed. And he's being pressed to the point of agony. Great sorrow beyond what I can humanly explain to you and I this morning. And you might say, why? I don't know if I understand. It all has to do with this cup. This cup. This cup, you see, the, the cup there is, is not just that Jesus was dreading that he was going to die. It wasn't just that, friend. It wasn't even that he dreaded the, the way that he was going to die by crucifixion, such a cruel punishment, such a cruel way to die, such a difficult way to die, to be suspended between heaven and earth and, you're, and you not be able to breathe and, and you're bleeding. I mean, what an excruciating way to die. But it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that he was going to be forsaken by his followers. It wasn't that he was going to be smitten by the Roman soldiers. But it's this, he was to be forsaken by his father. He was to be bruised, crushed. Isaiah 53, it says this, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. The word bruised literally means this, he was crushed for our iniquities. Pressure was so great, sorrow, very heavy. The word is troubled. The word is distressed. The word is exceeding sorrowful. He said to Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. It means this is, it's afflicted beyond measure. It's deeply grieved. I want to be careful here to, this morning, not to say too much, but I don't want to say too little because I can't understand all that Jesus went through for you and what he went through for me. But listen, my friend, that means this. He was encompassed with grief. The pressure was so great. And here's why. He was to die as no other man ever died. The sin and the guilt and the shame of all humanity, of all time, and the eternal pain of hell is all to be upon him in one moment of time. On that cross. And he understood what that meant for us. The wrath of God. The Bible talks about the cup of God's wrath. Psalm 75. In the prophet Isaiah, he speaks of the, the wrath of God's, the cup of God's wrath. 
Revelation 14, the cup of God's wrath. Isaiah 51, the cup of God's wrath. Jeremiah 25, the cup of God's wrath. And, and the other Psalm, Psalm 11, the cup of God's wrath. Here's what it is. It's the measure of God's, of God's righteous indignation, God's wrath against our sin. Jesus understood the righteousness and the holiness of the Father, and he also understood the sin and the wickedness of you and I. He understood our wickedness. He understood and he knew all the violent crimes ever to be committed, the rape and the incest and the abuse and the, and the fornication and the adultery and the homosexuality and the lying and the thievery and all those sins and the sin of humanity, the rebellion against God. And he was willing to take all that upon himself for you. In one moment of time on that cross, no wonder he prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Paul said, he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Paul would later write in Galatians, he would write, God, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. First Peter, Peter would write, Christ also has suffered for our for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus experienced this pain on the behalf of all the human race. He took the, he took the guilt and the shame and the pain for your sin. He suffered in your place. I like what one man said. He said, the measure of Christ's agony in Gethsemane, that place of, of pressing and pressure, the measure of Christ's agony in Gethsemane is the measure of suffering which Christ endured in bearing the wrath of God towards sinners at Calvary. That's why he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was not trying to get out of it, dear friend. He was not trying to get out of it. He was not coming up with another plan. That's not at all. Jesus was not about to sin. Are you listening to me here this morning? He's without sin. By his very nature, he can't sin. But the intimacy of the relationship between the Father and the Son was so strong that it prompted Jesus. This is what I can't fully understand or can't, under, can't uh, explain. But he said, if there's another way, let us go that way. But here's what he said. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You need to understand this morning that there was no other way for you to be saved. There was no other way except that he would take your, your sin and my sin. There was no other way. And when the pressure was there, listen, he didn't resist it and he didn't run from it. I said he didn't resist it. He didn't fight back. He willing. Don't you think for one second the Romans took his life. He willingly gave his life. He didn't run from it, friend. When you and I face pressure, when you and I face hard times, we want to either do fleet or, or fight. Fight, fight or flight, right? We want to get out of there because of the pressure. But listen, Jesus didn't take flight and he didn't fight back. He just willingly gave himself for you. When the pressure came, here's what Jesus did. He surrendered to the will of the Father. 
He surrendered to the will of the Father. He surrendered to the will of the Father that you and I might be relieved. Three times he prayed the same thing. Highly symbolic, being in Gethsemane, because they understood the pressing, the pressing, the pressing. He responded to the pressure of the Father's will by surrender. He was crushed for you. I've been overwhelmed. with the great price paid for our sin. That he was willing to take being smitten like that. That he was willing to suffer that separation from the Father so that you and I could never. Yes. Would never. Just heard someone say that once they trusted Christ as their Savior, here's what, here's what they said. It felt like a great weight was off. We don't go by feelings when it comes to salvation. We go by faith. But if you understand what ha happened to you, that the wrath of God was upon you, but you trusted his substitute for wrath and thus you were relieved, I imagine there is a great amount of relief that comes with that. I just heard the testimony of Brother Michael up in Stillwater as he was sharing with us how that uh, as a child growing up, he never smiled. Lived with anger on the inside every day until somebody left a track in his prison cell. Yes, he went to prison. Spent 16 years there. Somebody gave him a track, and one night he couldn't sleep. So he figured, I'm just going to read because that'll just put me to sleep. And he read, and he heard for the first time that Jesus died in his place. And right there in that prison cell, he asked Jesus to save him. And he said, Jesus came in, and he said, I didn't even know exactly what that meant. And now when you see Brother Michael... He's always smiling, like really big. I'm glad our Savior was willing to go to the cross. I'm glad he didn't resist it. I'm glad he didn't flee from it. I'm glad he willingly took that, that you and I might be saved. There was no other way you could be saved. You and I have pressure that come to our lives as well. Nothing like what he faced.
Pressure's about to come upon Peter, James, John, and all the other disciples. And they're going to do two things. They're going to resist and they're going to flee. They're going to run away. Thank God God was merciful and compassionate towards them and brought them back. We see quite a contrast here between what our Savior did and what we typically do. When we face pressure, we want to resist it. When we face pressure, we want to run from it. But really what we need to do is when we face the pressure that's associated with God's will, we need to surrender to it. I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I don't know of anybody in the right mind who does. I just went to the, just for a routine checkup the other day, and he said something about blood work, and the blood left my head. Just, just the mention of it. That was all it took. I thought, surely not. And fortunately, we didn't have to do it that day, so I ran from it one more time. It doesn't take much for me. How about you? There's a lot of pressure that we face as even God's children living in this world, trying to serve Him. And there's moments of pressure that are greater even than other moments. And there's going to be times when you're going to want to run from God's will, resist God's will. But here's what we ought to do. Surrender to His will. Don't run from it. Don't resist it. And I think that's why Jesus is telling His disciples pray that you don't fail. Don't, don't fail in this temptation. And obviously here's what happened. They didn't pray. They slept. And as a result of that, they failed when the temptation came. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Surrender to the pressure associated with God's will. There's a lot of pressure that will come associated with God's will. I'm sure thankful he didn't run from it. I'm glad he didn't resist it. Some of you even right now may be feeling the pressure of knowing you need to be saved. Let me, let me, let me help you right here. Don't run from him. Don't resist the conviction of sin that you need salvation. Don't run from him, run to him. Many of you are saved, but there's pressure in your life and everything in you wants to run. Everything in you may want to resist. Don't run, don't resist, surrender. Surrender. Father, I thank you here this morning. What we've read of our Savior is very eye-opening. And to think of the relief that it brings to a man like Michael Johnson and others, Lord, the relief of, of the burden of sin that it can bring, there was no other way that we could be relieved of our sin debt, dear God. No, no other way. And I thank you, dear God, that our Savior was willing to go to that old rugged cross and die for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for the willingness that he faced to face the agony even within the Garden of Gethsemane. 
God, I pray for anyone here today that does not know you as Savior. I pray that they would, this very day, not resist the call to salvation or run from it, but come to you and receive salvation, dear Lord, I pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for believers here today that are under some form of pressure. It could be from the just living in a sin-cursed world and some of the pressures that are there. Or it could be something that you're calling them to, dear God, that is a great pressure and everything in them wants to run from it or resist it. But God, I pray that you'd help them, help us all to be surrendered to your will. Following the example of our Savior and taking heed to his admonition, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.